Welcome to Craft Life, Episode 5, Creating on a Budget. In this episode, I'll share with you some budget-friendly craft supply substitutions. We'll discuss a rather controversial Southernism. I'll tell you about one or two inexpensive crafts you might want to try and share a short list of websites to help inspire the thrifty crafter in you. All this coming up in this episode of Craft Life, the podcast all about living the creative life. Thank you so much for joining me for this fifth episode of Craft Life. If you are a brand new listener, I'd like to say a special hello and welcome to you. And if you've already had four rounds of Craft Life and you're back for a fifth, well, by this time, you're pretty much family. And I feel like I should give you a key, let you put your feet up on my coffee table and just say, you know what, take whatever you'd like from the fridge because because we're just that close now. Well, the past few weekends have been pretty eventful here in our little corner of the world. Last weekend, my husband and I and his mother went to the Mayfest in Fort Worth. And the Mayfest is a festival that I believe their goal is to raise money to preserve the Trinity River, which runs through the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And it was really nice. This was the first time that any of the three of us had ever been to the Mayfest, so it was a new experience all around. I have to say, we enjoyed ourselves. It was very hot, and, you know, that can sort of either make or break a festival experience. Um, but one of the things about the Mayfest that I was impressed with were the arts and crafts vendors. I, I love going to festivals of all kinds to go and to check out the work of all of the artists that, that come and share and sell at these festivals. And you can find some really bizarre, and you can find some really fantastic things from the vendors of festivals. So if you're like me and you like checking such things out, I would encourage you to research the local events and festivals in your area and go and take a look. And if you are in the Fort Worth area this time next year, take a trip by the Mayfest. Like I said, it was pretty hot that day, so we didn't spend too much time in the vendor area. But we did stop by a stage because there was a particular performer there that was very interesting. This is Painter Tim. His name is Tim Decker, and he is a speed painter performance artist. Painter Tim sets up a black canvas board and then hits the music and goes at it. And he will paint for one to two songs, and he paints so fast. He paints with um, two hands, two brushes, one in each hand, and his fingers, and he paints portraits. When we showed up, he was painting a portrait of Mick Jagger. And then we were only there for one more picture. The last picture he painted was a portrait of the Statue of Liberty. And it was fantastic. And honestly, if a painter can draw a crowd to watch him paint, that's that's impressive to me, just that he can do that. I am not a fabulous painter, so I was even, even more impressed at anybody who can do that. If you'd like to see Painter Tim in action, I will have a link to his Facebook page on the show notes, there's a video there, a little montage they put together. So you can kind of get a feel for what he's all about. And if he comes to your area and you have the chance to check him out, I would encourage it. It's, it's so much fun to watch. Now, one of the things that they did at the end of Painter Tim's show 
was they auctioned off the artwork that he had created right before our very eyes to benefit the Trinity River. So it was it was great for the river all around that day. Now, later on that weekend, I jumped headfirst into one of my thrifty crafting substitutions that I'm going to share with you today. Now, I would be willing to bet a lot of you out there have already heard of Kool-Aid dyeing, but this was a fairly new idea to me. I believe the first time I read about it was on Ravelry, and I thought, you can dye with Kool-Aid? Well, of course you can, because I remember spilling Kool-Aid on myself as a child, and, and those stains just don't come out. And this sounded like such a great, inexpensive way to dye fiber. Now, if you'll recall, I did buy four ounces of fiber from Nan's Needleworks in Horseshoe Bay, Texas. And I did a, a little local yarn shop review on them in episode three. Well, I'd been saving this fiber to try my hand at Kool-Aid dyeing. So I went to the store and I bought two packs of strawberry, two packs of pink lemonade, and two packs of cherry because my goal was to kind of get a shades of, of pink shade different shades of pink going on in this fiber now I did some research on the internet and there were a lot of different ways that people suggested you you mix your dye for dyeing with kool-aid they range the spectrum of just kool-aid and water to kool-aid and water and a little bit of vinegar to kool-aid and all vinegar and there were debates about whether or not you needed the vinegar to help the color set in the fiber. And so I wound up going with three quarters of a cup of vinegar to two packs of Kool-Aid mix because, well, I figured if I didn't need the vinegar, well, it wouldn't hurt. But if I did need the vinegar, well, then I had it. So I was good either way. Now, the dye mixture did come out smelling very strongly of vinegar and very strongly of Kool-Aid. But I will tell you on the back end of this project that as I've been working with the fiber, the smell has faded and I feel pretty confident that once I get finished working and spinning the fiber into yarn, um, I think when I set the twist in the yarn and if I put in a little bit of that wool soak that I bought at the Dallas Fiber Fest, I think it's going to take care of the rest of the smell and I don't really anticipate it smelling like, like anything other than the wool soak when I'm finally done with it. Now, once I got finished mixing up the dye, I prepped my wool. I soaked it in some, some hot water for about, oh, about 20, 25 minutes. Then I took it out and I, and I squeezed out the water. I did not wring it and I did not twist it so as not to felt it. And I brought it to the table where I had already laid out some saran wrap, some plastic wrap. And I kind of snaked the fiber back and forth the length of the saran wrap. And then I started dyeing. I used a turkey baster. The website where I went and found the instructions for the Kool-Aid dyeing suggested that you use a large syringe. But I don't just have a large syringe laying around the kitchen. But I did have a turkey baster. And so that's what I used. I filled it up with some of the dyes and just, just kind of sprinkled it around on the fiber. Now one thing that I really wanted to do was to not have any white left over. I wanted, you know, completely dyed fiber. And unfortunately, in my attempt to make sure that there was no white left in this fiber, I put on entirely too much dye. I wound up using all of the dye that I had mixed up. So that's four ounces of fiber to two and three quarters of a cup of dye. That's, that's a lot of dye. 
but I didn't realize that I had too much dye on there until a little bit later. So once I got the dye applied, I carefully rolled up the fiber in the saran wrap and kind of twisted it into a little bit of circle. I put it into a round microwavable safe Pyrex dish and then I microwaved it for about five minutes. And the instruction said that you microwave it and then you take it out and check it and if the dye is clear, then you don't have to microwave it anymore, it's done. Well, because I had put too much dye on the fiber, the liquid was not clear because, well, the liquid was just coming out of the fiber. It, it wasn't even having the chance to soak in. So after many different microwaves, I finally got it to where I was pretty sure that the dye had set in. I drained off the excess dye and let it cool for a while because it was extremely hot coming out of the microwave. Once it had cooled off enough, I rinsed it and squeezed it out again and hung it out to dry. Once the fiber was dry, it was gorgeous, bright shades of pink, and it was a lot of the dark pink, only a little bit of the light pink, but overall I was pleased with it. Now when I took it apart to spin, that's when I noticed that despite my best efforts, I had felted it a little. I don't think it was felted to an unsalvageable point, but at any rate, it was slightly felted. So I kind of had to pick and pull and and really work with the fiber before I started spinning, but I am pleased to say it has received enough TLC that it is, it's quite spinnable and I'm really enjoying spinning that up right now. So if you haven't tried Kool-Aid dyeing, I would recommend giving it a try and I don't see why it wouldn't work on, on clothes as well as, you know, yarn and fiber. Um, I had a sleeveless shirt that I was going to try out, but since I used up all of my dye on my four ounces of fiber, uh, that didn't get a chance. So that is my first thrifty, crafty substitution idea for you. Next on the list is t-shirt yarn. This is another thrifty, crafty substitution for those of you who like working with yarn. This is, again, another thing that I'm sure you have already seen. The way t-shirt yarn is produced is you, you take an old t-shirt and you start at the bottom and you basically cut a spiral. Oh, depending on how thick of yarn you want, um, I would cut mine probably about oh, half of an inch maybe, just for, you know, just a regular medium weight yarn. And you cut it in a spiral from the bottom and you just work your way up. And there are a lot of different techniques you can find if you search around online for different ways to cut it to make it a little bit less time consuming. But once you get finished cutting your long strip of t-shirt, if you just give it a little tug, it curls up on the ends and and is a great yarn alternative. The first time I ever tried this was with a pink cashmere sweater. I loved this sweater. And when I pulled it out to wear last winter, I discovered, you know, what we all hate to discover when we pull out our sweaters is tiny little holes that had been nibbled into it. And I hated to throw it away because it was pink cashmere and cashmere feels so good. So I went with the t-shirt yarn method. And I wound up having enough yarn to make a neck warmer, and it is so soft. And, and I still have my pink cashmere sweater, but it's just been resurrected in a slightly different format. Another alternative, if you're looking for yarn substitutions, would be to take a trip to your local thrift store or to your, you know, your neighbor's garage sale. Anywhere you can find sweaters that are already knit. Take them home, unravel them, wash them, and... There you go. I mean, you've got a sweater's worth of yarn for for a quarter. Yeah, for a quarter. I mean, you can't find it cheaper than that if you buy it on sale. So that that's an idea that I really like. And it's a great way to find yarns that are made out of more expensive fibers for absolutely dirt cheap. Now, if knitting or 
fiber crafts is not your thing, maybe if you are more into paper crafts or painting or drawing, I'd like to recommend that you take a trip down to your local newspaper. A lot of newspapers will sell their end rolls at very, very low prices and you will get yards and yards of paper on these end rolls for, for practically nothing. And they're great for kids crafts. I have used newspaper end rolls to make sewing patterns. Um, they're really good for paper mache, very inexpensive. The only thing that I will say may be a negative is newspaper tends to yellow with age. So you may not be able to go through an entire roll before it starts to yellow, but it really is such a great paper idea if you go through a lot of paper or if you're looking for, for a, a thrifty paper substitution idea. And one other idea I would like to probably just remind you of is homemade Play-Doh. Play-Doh can be made at home with what, flour and water and salt? I mean, there's not a lot to it. And it's non-toxic. You can color it with food colorings from your pantry. And it's really great for modeling and sculpting, just, just little crafty things at home. But it's also a really good thing that you can get into the kitchen and make with your children. And then they can have that final product to take and to play with later. Homemade Play-Doh is really good for the chaps. Chaps. Noun. Definition. Young human beings below the age of full physical development or below the legal age of majority. Usage. Example. Honey, make sure you give the chaps a bath before putting them to bed. I don't know where the term chaps came from as a word used to reference your children. I know that in some other cultures, chaps is used much in the same way that we might use the word fellows or guys or something along that line. Um, but chaps, it's, it's an interesting little word. When I was growing up, my parents would often refer to us as chaps. And, and I heard parents of friends of mine refer to them as chaps. But there is quite a division amongst Southerners about whether or not chaps is an appropriate word to use when referring to children or a word that you would absolutely never use because it has some, some derogatory connotation. I've never found this to be the case in just in my own personal experience, but there's definitely a division there. There's definitely some people who have no problem calling children chaps and then others who would say, oh, I would never ever, ever call my children chaps. They are not chaps. They are my children. So I don't know about you if you've heard it, if you, if you stand firmly on one side or the other about whether or not this is an appropriate word to use. If your ears burn when I say the word chaps, you're probably on the nay side. But anyway, chaps, I don't have a problem with it. Some other people may... I don't know. If you think one way or the other, leave me a comment and, and let me know which side of the fence you stand on. Now I'd like to share with you two inexpensive craft projects that you can just pick up and do whenever you get the itch to be crafty. The first one is tea bag folding. This is something I've only found, oh, about maybe a year or a year and a half ago, and it seems to be a fairly recent crafty invention. If you do some research online about the history of teabag folding, you will find 
pretty much the same story repeated almost word for word all over the place. I'm not sure where the story originated, and in some places it receives some interesting tweaks. And the story goes like this. In the early 1990s, a lady from Holland named Teenie Vanderplas needed to send a birthday card to her sister, but she didn't have a card with her, and she, for some reason, did not want to go to the store to, to buy a card. And so she sat drinking her tea, and as she looked at the envelope that the tea came in, she started folding it and eventually folded enough of them that they made these lovely little patterns. And she thought, oh, hey, that will look great on the front of a birthday card. And that's where teabag folding came from. Now, in some of the places that you will read this story, um, they will tell you it was snowing outside. In other places, they will say that, oh, this was so long ago that back then tea bags were much much more beautiful than they are today. Although I don't know if that's really the case. If it was really the early 1990s, I don't know if they were that much lovelier way back then. And then in other stories, they will mention her dogs. It's, nah, I'm beginning to wonder if it's one of those urban legends, just, just from the different versions I've read out there online. But there you go. Take the story or leave the story. The bottom line is teabag folding is actually quite an interesting little craft. It, again, doesn't have anything to do with teabags unless you, unless you want to count the envelopes that they came in. Actually, it is a very simple form of origami using square patterned paper. And you fold these little squares in, in identical styles. And then when you fit all of these little folded pieces together, they form sort of a kaleidoscope pattern. It's really cute, really cute. Some of the things that I think this would be a really appropriate craft for um, would be, of course, to decorate a lovely greeting card, such as in Miss Teeny's story. Also, I think they look just gorgeous framed. I mean, they make such pretty little framed pieces of art. Also, I think if you can affix the small pieces together, I think they would be great for Christmas ornaments. So I will leave you some links on the show notes with a little more information about teabag folding and some instructions on some kind of beginner folding patterns and also some links to some places where you can download and print the teabag paper yourself. So you don't have to go to the store and buy specialized paper. You can print out the little square grid pattern right on your printer at home cut out the squares, and and you've got all the supplies that you need to practice a little teabag folding. The other craft I'd like to mention is silhouettes. Silhouettes are gorgeous. They, they're one of those traditional crafts that, that I think are just, they're just classic. They just don't ever look dated. This would be a great project for you to use that newspaper end roll that I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, or of course, just some plain black construction paper. All you need is a model, a chair, a light, and a piece of paper, and sit them in front of it, shine the light on them, and trace the shadow. It's as easy as that. So silhouettes and teabag foldings, two little inexpensive, quick little crafty projects that you can just pick up and do for little to no money if you get the crafty itch. And now quickly, just to kind of round out our crafting on the budget idea for this week, I want to give you three different websites that will hopefully inspire your thrifty crafter. The first one is dollarstorecrafts.com, and the name says it all. 
It's using things found at the 99 cent or dollar store in, in crafty ways or things maybe not necessarily found in those particular stores, but things found at very low cost. And they really have some really neat craft ideas on that website. The next website is decorhacks.com. And interestingly, I found this website after I posted episode four about hacking the craft. And they have a segment on decorhacks.com that's called hacks. And it's brilliant. And if you're looking for some, some really inexpensive ways to remake and repurpose maybe some things that you might already have or some very inexpensive building and crafty tools to make um, decor for your home, to make furniture pieces, check out decorhacks.com. It's a really neat website. And the other one is thethriftycrafter.com. This is a blog dedicated to, well, what it says, to being a thrifty crafter. And she has ideas for thrifty baking, decorating, gift ideas, holiday crafts. I mean, she's got she's got a nice little thrifty crafty library over there. So go check out the thriftycrafter.com and I am sure that you probably know of tons of different thrifty crafter type blogs and websites that 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 may be your go-to website when you're looking for maybe a less expensive way to to do some particular craft. If you have like your go-to Thrifty Crafter website, please leave me a comment either on the show notes or over in the Ravelry forum in this episode's forum thread. Go ahead and leave me a comment over there and and just share these. And I'm sure there are other people out there who are also interested in budget crafting. And if we can compile all of our resources for our budget-friendly craft ideas, I think we might can help each other out. So what have I been up to in my craftiness lately? Well, as I said at the top of the show, one of the big projects that I've been working on was my Kool-Aid dyeing. And right now I am in the middle of getting that spun up. I think I've probably spun maybe about an ounce or an ounce and a half so far. So I, I'm looking at my pile right now and it, it looks quite enormous, but I am hopefully going to finish that up sometime this week and get it get it plied and get the twist set and get it ready to knit. Now, if you remember in episode four, I mentioned that I had knit the waterfall scarf. It was out of my own hand spun, my first plied hand spun that I did on my drop spindle. And it did not come out as long as I had wanted it to be, but there was no more yarn. So there really wasn't anything I could do about adding on to the end. And I was debating between going up a needle size, going down the needle size, doing something to try to make the scarf longer, but more narrow. And I would like to say a special thank you to Judy Uni. Um, she suggested changing the amount of stitches. And while at first I thought, no, that's not going to work because this is such a specific pattern and it, it needs to have this amount of stitches. The more I thought about it, the more I thought, no, that's actually perfect because this particular pattern has three different pattern segments kind of on the horizontal and so I just dropped one of those segments and so instead of doing three sets of the pattern I'm doing two sets of the pattern and it's working out beautifully. The only negative I will say is that having frogged the the hand spun the plies have gotten pretty 
wimpy. There are there are a good many places where the plies are not nearly as tight as it had been when I when I knit the project the first go around. However, now that it's going to knit up a good bit longer, I'll actually wear it. So I'll be okay with a little bit of looseness I'm getting in my plies because I'll actually get to wear my my first ever hand spun hand knit scarf. So I'm very excited about that. Thank you so much for the suggestion. And besides that, I have also cast on and completed another baby hat, which, as I said, I knit with my charity knitting group at church, Threads of Grace. And I would like to say a special hello to any of you Threads of Grace ladies who are out there listening to this episode. I hope you are having a great day. One quick thing I'd like to mention before we wrap up for today. If you are not a knitter or a crocheter or a fiber enthusiast of any kind, and you would still like to get involved with the discussion in the Craft Life Ravelry group, I would like to encourage you to go ahead and go over to Ravelry and sign up. It's free. You can jump into the conversation. You might find something that piques your interest and turns you on to knitting. I don't know. It's a possibility. So go on over there to the Craft Life Ravelry group. That's at Ravelry.com. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email treacleandink at hotmail.com. Go on over to the blog at www.treacleandinketsy.wordpress.com. That's where you will find the show notes. And you will also find the podcast there as well as over on iTunes. You can check us out on Ravelry and the Craft Life group. And you can find me at Treacle and Ink on Facebook. Join me in episode six when we'll change gears a little bit and talk about photography and videography. And I will be welcoming a very special guest into the Craft Life studios. Thanks so much and have a great week. Thank you.